Bibles and turn to Psalm 1. We're going to go through the whole book of Psalms today. Not really. <laughs> be here for the remainder. Well, well, I'll be teaching when Tom actually flies in on Friday. I'll, I'll still be here. Y'all be gone, but I'll be here. Psalm chapter 1. And Bubba, great job. Thank you for stepping in. Great worship team. Everybody switches places. And God's good. you got some gifted people here that are able to carry the ball. And it's always a blessing to have willing servants. Psalm chapter 1. And let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you now for this time to gather into this place. And Lord, as the church to meet in this building and Lord, for the purpose of growing and maturing in our faith, uh, for the purpose, Lord, of growing in love, uh, for the purpose, Lord, of uh, knowing you more fully and uh, Lord, walking with you more obediently, Lord, we pray uh, your spirit now would teach us. We invite him to be in our midst as teacher. And Lord, that you would speak to each heart, that you would speak to each life, that you would, Lord, you, you know the questions that people have today, you know the struggles, you know the deep hurts, you know some of the, uh, the trials, Lord, the fiery trials that some are going through presently. And so, God, we trust that you will minister, Lord, by your Spirit to each one of those needs, being the I am. Whatever we need, you are. Lord, meet each person right where they're at today and speak to our hearts. And Lord, cause us to uh, fall more fully in love with Jesus. And we'll give you the thanks, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. The title of my message is Never Gonna Stop Singing. You know, music is something that I have always had a passion for and loved. I remember probably 10, 11 years old, I wanted to get a radio that I could listen to while I was riding my bike. You know, we didn't have video games back in that day and stuff. And, and so I wanted something that I could listen to while I was riding my bike because I had the radio and my stereo in the house, but but you couldn't take them along with you. And I had such a love for music. So I, I, I my parents wouldn't buy me a radio. So uh, I found a way to, if I sold Christmas cards through this company, if you sold enough Christmas cards, you could get enough points and you could, you could buy certain things. And so guess what? I saw a, listen, pay attention, you younger people, there's such a thing, a transistor radio. Yeah, 9-volt battery clip in, push it in, man, turn that thing on. And this one had a, speak, uh, a case and a headphone, a single headphone jack, no stereo in those days. And, and so I plugged that thing in and I'd drive around on my bike, listen to my, I, I mean, I sold the cards. I was diligent. I sold them to all my relatives and, you know, and uh, all my friends had to buy them. And so I, I finally sold enough to get that thing. Got the headphone in, man, cruising around on my bike, listening to music the whole time. I was as cool as could be. But the headphone, well, it didn't last very long. The wire was flimsy. And uh, if you've ever seen one of those, they're not built for endurance, you see, back in that day. And so I had to learn to drive my bike with one hand 
so I could hold the radio with the other. And, you know, when I got into school, my goal was to be a rock star. My idol, of course, Mick Jagger. Thank God I got saved because I've seen Mick lately. He's not doing too well. But, but you know, I mean, music. And, and, and it's part of our lives, isn't it? I mean, we just spent some time here singing a praise to God. And music has such a special place in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that guess what? Out of all the arts, it is the one thing that is going to last into eternity. Because every time we see the camera in Scripture pointed to heaven, what's going on in heaven? They're singing. Now a question, of course, it always creates problems. Because, well, what style are they singing? Are they singing, you know, and, and just this loud, I, I know it's going to be loud. That's one thing we know for sure. So for those of you that don't like loud music, guess what? You'll get over it when you get to heaven. You're going to want it cranking because it's loud in heaven. Okay, so God's going to fix all of our ears so we're all digging on loud music, okay? And the style, I understand, you know, when I was younger and people would say, well, how come we don't do the hymns? And these were the older people saying, why don't we do the hymns in church? And and you know what? I didn't understand that. And now that I'm older, I understand that. And the reason is, is because they wanted the old hymns because you see the old songs, the old people back to when they were young people and they have a special connection there. Some of the old Maranatha songs that you guys would just go, oh man, don't you know it's time to praise the Lord. Oh, I hate that song. But, but for me, you know what? I remember back then, you see, alleluia, alleluia, just a chorus. And, but that takes me back. So I understand, you see, but the style, whatever the style will be in heaven, here's, here's another thing that shows it's heaven. Everybody's going to love it. And we're all going to be singing. And it's something that, well, that's what we're doing while we're here presently. We're practicing for eternity. God loves it when His children sing. And we're at the first chapter of the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs. Songs written, many of them by David. There are other writers like Asaph and all, but but many of them have been written by David. And you get the idea that singing... Well, it is something that we do generally, generally, at least with my children. You see, they would do skits, five of them. They would like, and, and it's a great pleasure to a parents and grandparents when the kids, you got to admit when they're singing, rather than when they're fighting and bickering and arguing. When they all get together and they're singing, it's usually a joyful time. It's usually a happy time. That's the way We, as God's children, should be. You know, God loves, like you do, to bless and give good gifts and good things to His children. He delights when they're singing and and celebrating and and, uh, filled with joy. He he loves to see them succeed and and grow and, and mature, you see. A success that outlives, you see, the person 
A success that goes on into eternity. You see, as Christians, our hearts should constantly be, well, Paul said it, didn't he? Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And then just in case you missed it, he said, and again, because some, some of you might have missed that because of the circumstances you're in. Again, I'm going to tell you once more, I say, rejoice. So that's the kind of thing that should be going on among God's children. That joyful celebration. And even though we are living in tough times, and you're saying, Pastor, why celebrate? I mean, Korea's like launching things and hurricanes are tearing things up. And what are you talking about, celebrate? Hey, we, we can because we know that God said it would be this way as we approach the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we have cause to sing, even in the midst of the struggle. But how is it that we can maintain that? How is it that we, well, we don't lose that rejoicing, that singing? How is it that we can demonstrate that joy increasingly, even in the face of difficulty? Well, the psalmist here in Psalm 1 starts out this songbook with a lyric. And he said, blessed, he starts out, blessed, which means how happy is the man? How blessed is the man? What man? Don't you want to be blessed? Don't you want to be in that place where you're singing and and experiencing uh, the blessing of God in your life. And, and not only are you experiencing the blessing personally, but you are also dispensing that blessing to others. You see, uh, you're one who people look at and they go, man, they're happy. There is some very essential, very clear things that need to happen if you're going to be that man, that woman, that person. He says, blessed, or how happy is the man or woman who, well, first of all, he starts off with saying, there's some things, if you're going to live in this way, if you are going to continue to sing and never going to stop singing, there's some things that you need to pay attention to, some things, first of all, that you are not to do. Okay, some things that need to be Moved out of your life. What are those things? Well, first of all, he says here, Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Secondly, nor stands in the path of sinners. Thirdly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I like the way the psalmist, uh, or the, I mean the New Living Translation translates this verse. verse. It goes, and I can hear, you know, I, I remember Chuck, I, I can just hear Chuck saying this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, nor stand around in the, with the sinners, nor join in with the mockers. You know what? Just some very clear things to avoid. 
I'm going to call these men, these people, these groups of people. I'm going to call the first one the skeptic. I'm going to call the second one the sinner. I'm going to call the third one the scoffer. And they're all very different. And it is, as we will see, a digression, if you would. It's a road down. You see, it starts out with the first person, the skeptic. It says, a blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He's an ungodly or she's an ungodly man or woman. What that means is uh, there's simply no room for God in their life. That's the person he starts off with here. Very few people I've found over the years, and uh, you probably, maybe some of you have met some people that are a little different, but, but most of the people I've run into and shared the Lord with are not anti-God. That number is growing among the atheists, but, but they're not anti-God. And most people that you uh, have shared the Lord with or that you work with or hang around with, maybe your neighbors or uh, people that you go to school with, uh, they're not uh, God-haters. They wouldn't say, if you talked about Jesus or said something about God, they wouldn't say, I hate Jesus, I hate God. Even saying that right now, you're going, you're freaking me out, Pastor, don't do that. I mean, people aren't generally like that. You know, the reality is, is they just... They just have no room for God in their lives. They may even sing the, you know, some of the gospel songs, and certainly they sing them around uh, Christmas time every year. There's some great words in some of those Christmas songs, other than jingle bells and, and those kinds of things. But, but there are some great, great words in those songs, and they sing them, but they don't really have room for the God they're singing about. You see, that's the ungodly. The ungodly, sometimes we think, when we think of ungodly, we think of people that are wicked, and, and certainly that describes, uh, that could be, the word could be translated that way here, but we think, when we think of wicked people, we think of people who murder, who lie and steal. But can I suggest to you that wicked people can wear tailor-made suits, they can go to church every week and even give money to charity and still be ungodly, no room for God. They just go through the motions. They just are steeped in religion. They go to church on Sunday because they've always gone to church on Sunday. But they don't have any room for God in their lives and submission to Him. They're not living for the purpose primarily of bringing Him glory. So we see the skeptic, the ungodly. Then we move to the sinner here. It says... uh, he is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. The skeptic is ungodly. The sinner, well, he's unholy. He's unholy. He not only lives as if there's no God, but he knows that he lives that way. And guess what? It doesn't bother him to live that way. Now, we all know that Hollywood is, is definitely a picture of this kind of uh, thing. I mean, the media today, and it's coming at us through all of our devices and conveniences and technology at a thousand miles another, uh, an hour rather, like no other time in history. 
And what Hollywood is pumping out is what they want you to believe many times and, and adhere to. And, and of course, all kinds of violence and, and perversion and, and, uh, special, especially sexual because it's such a, a powerful media. They're flaunting all kinds of sensual things to kind of lock us into and move us towards what they want us to believe when it comes to what sex is all about and what the relationship is all about. And they flaunt premarital sex. They flaunt adultery. They flaunt, uh, you know, extramarital sex. They flaunt same-sex marriage. They're trying to push all this stuff on us and, and to make it okay to be an adulterer. To be one who is, uh, you know, getting married to the same sex. To be one who has premarital sex. And, and, and the attitude is becoming increasingly, uh, it's not new. This stuff isn't new stuff. I mean, a Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20, and the way this reads, it talks about a woman, and the reason it talks about a woman is because it's unusual when women have reached the place that this proverb describes. Listen to what the Lord says here. It says, it is amazing, what is amazing is how an adulterous woman can satisfy her to appetite, shrug her shoulders, and then say, what's wrong with that? In other words, a woman has come to the level to where there's no shame in multiple partners, and she just, what's wrong with that? So what? You see, that is a, is a, a person who is a sinner. I mean, and no shame in the sin in fact, it's the kind of person that if you tell them that what they're doing is wrong. And if, if I stand up here, and I do stand up here, and I will continue to say it, same-sex marriage is sin. Doesn't mean that we don't love the sinner. Doesn't mean that there's not an attraction that becomes a temptation and a problem. What it means is it is sin for the same sex to be married Listen, the equipment doesn't work. It's, I mean, it just doesn't work. That doesn't mean we don't love them. I mean, just like an adulterer, uh, somebody that commits adultery. It's sin. Sex sin is sex sin, period. Okay? No ifs, no ands, no buts. Now, saying that, there are those that would categorize me as saying, well, you, you, you're so unloving and intolerant. Uh, listen, uh, equal opportunity, adultery, premarital sex, uh, I mean, uh, same sex, any sexual sin outside a marriage between a man and a woman is sexual sin, and it is wrong. But don't classify me as a hater, which is what they tend to do. If you say it's sin, you see, they say, you're bigoted, you're a hater, you, you, you know what, you Christians, that's a problem with the society. No, out of love I tell you, it's wrong. 
Not out of, I, 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 you know what, man? Listen, the battle's the battle. We all face temptation. Uh, many a sexual temptation at uh, some point, and, and, and we've got to deal with it, uh, not make an excuse to go down that road and, and make it a license and, and not be, have any shame in it. You see, uh, Proverbs chapter 14 in verse 9, and I love the way this reads in the New Living Translation. In the uh, New King James, it just says, Fools mock at sin. Uh, Proverbs 14.9 in the New Living Translation really captures the Greek, the essence of this. And it says, it reads like this, Fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. You hear that? A lot of times people say, Well, you shouldn't feel guilty. Be careful. That guilt can be the very thing and is the very thing that drives you to God. You see, a fool says, don't feel guilty. There's no shame. Uh, so what? You blew it. Everybody blows it. No big deal. Uh, don't feel bad about it. Listen, God has given us guilt and it's a blessing to have guilt if it drives you to do the right thing with that guilt. When you feel guilty for doing wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. If you've done wrong, if you've sinned, you should feel guilty. That guilt is intended to do what? To drive you to the foot of the cross. It says there, but the godly acknowledge the guilt and they do what? Seek reconciliation. If you've done something wrong to somebody, if you've said something that hurt them, if, if you've done something, uh, have done something to, to cause them a consternation, then you know what? You need to do what, what is right. If you feel guilty. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have reacted that way. I shouldn't have said that. That's great. You feel guilty about it. Uh, listen, go to them and seek reconciliation. Ask for forgiveness. That's what guilt does. It drives us to the cross where we say, Lord, I'm sorry I sinned. I need you to make me right. You see, God makes us right. The guilt brings us to seek out reconciliation. You see, what he's saying here is if you want to be successful, you've got to stay away from hanging around and engaging in. I'm not saying don't contact and reach out to sinners. What I'm saying is you can't make them your main uh, people that you hang around with and, and, and begin to engage in their values and practices. That's what he's saying here. You see, and then you move to the scornful, the mocker, the person that laughs at the idea that you would even think that, that this is sin, that certain things are sin. And they laugh at the idea of God. They mock and they scoff and they, they just roll their eyes, you see. Uh, those people are out there. He says you've got to stay away from them. You can't hang out with them. You can't hang out with people that are ungodly. Why? You see, because if you hang out with them, you start dialoguing with them. And, and inevitably, invariably, if you spend any amount of time, you see, you've got problems, they've got problems, we've all got problems. And, and so you ask them, so what do you think I should do about this? And the Bible's clear here. 
Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. One thing about it, if you hang around with people, very often you have dialogue. That dialogue often talks about how to determine what's right and what's wrong. And if you are receiving counsel from non-believers, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. We've got to turn a deaf ear to the counsel of this world. You see, sometimes people say, well, no, they need professional help. Really? Really? Now, I'm not saying there's never a time where you, where you might not need a, a psychologist for the purpose of getting some drugs dispensed so you can sleep. There are people that are so into a cycle of fear and anxiety and depression that they have to get something because they're not sleeping. When you don't sleep for days on it, you start hearing voices. I can't even sit down and counsel you because you can't even think right. So there may be a situation, I believe it's rare, where you need some quote-unquote, professional help. And uh, I would encourage you to seek out somebody that's a Christian uh, because it says here that you are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. There are people that come up to me uh, after service many times and they'll say, a pastor and, and a couple will come up and maybe they'll bring their uh, teenager or whatever and they'll say, pastor, we need your opinion on something. I say, no, you don't. See, if you come up to me, so uh, just forewarned, uh, if you come up to me and say, you want my opinion on something, I'll say, you know what, I don't really want to give you my opinion because that's not going to help you really. What you need, what I need by way of counsel, whenever you have any trouble, is you need you need the counsel of God's Word. You need, we as believers are called to come to, when we need counsel, a the, in fact, wonderful counselor. You, you heard of him? He's, he's wonderful. You want, you want your mind blown. And you want to be filled with wonder at how amazing he is. There's a wonderful counselor that's available to you and me, any and all the time. And, and you don't have to find a couch. You don't have to get an appointment. He's the wonderful counselor. Guess what else he is? He's a mighty God. You know what? Whatever, whatever you need, not only does He have the words to speak and, and the wisdom to give, but He's got the power to deliver because He's not just a, a, a man. He is the mighty God. He's given you power. He's given me power to do what He lays out to do. He's the everlasting Father. I don't know what kind of a father you had. Some of you maybe had some really uh, poor examples of a father. And so you are scarred uh, by uh, your father. But listen, there is a father who is uh, available, who is there for you or for me at any moment, at any time. And, and here, he's never too busy to listen. And he always fully understands when other people don't get it, he gets it. And he is going to be there every and all the time, not only presently, but all into eternity. He is the everlasting Father. And you know what? Are you in turmoil and struggling and anxious? He is the Prince of Peace. 
You see, that's the counselor that we have. We need to go to Him. We need to seek Him. You see, and stay away from, watch out for the ungodly counsel. You'd be better off getting advice from a brain surgeon, for, 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 you know, from an automobile mechanic, mechanic than you would to listen to the world's advice. I mean, it just doesn't work. I mean, here, here it is. Why would you listen to a, a world full of sin and by, advise you on how to deal with sin? Uh, that's why they can't do anything. And, and it's a crazy thing today. It, it, I don't know how long it's going to be before we are going to have to have uh, two trays of wafers to pass out at communion, one gluten-free and, and one with gluten. And, and, and listen, I'm not making light if you have the allergy to gluten, but many people don't have the allergy to gluten. They're just freaked out about it. They hear all about it and it's been villainized, you know, and that kind of a thing. And, and people are reading the internet and, and guess what? We are studying a people have become food scientists in this country. I mean, we spend so much time. Oh, no, I can't have complex carbohydrates. I need these kind of carbohydrates. And, and we're sitting around and we're analyzing and freaked out about what we're eating, really. We're so like sensitive on what people in other countries are just trying to get a meal. We're like going, no, I don't want that meal. I want this meal with this and then it can't have this and then it can't have that. And it's got to have this. And if you don't have that, then it's just, I mean, it's crazy. We've become so focused on nutrition and that kind of a thing. And I'm not down on that. But here's, here's the crazy thing to me. What a contradiction. Because when it comes to feeding the mind, you turn on the TV, maybe all into gluten-free and everything else and talking about GMOs and no GMOs, but, but the perversion that is coming at you on television and the junk that it's going into your mind by way of media and these devices, unfiltered, you see, and we have minds that are like cesspools. You talk about pollution. And we're concerned about what we eat, but what about what we think and how we think? You see, it says here, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then note the digression here. He starts walking and in the counsel of the ungodly and hanging out and listening to Dr. Phil. You see, and he's not digging into the Word. And what happens as it leads to the next step, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You see, there's a progression down. Once you hang out with and begin to believe and take in the counsel of the ungodly, it affects the way you behave. What am I saying? I'm saying that action always follows advice. What you get into your head will go into your heart. What you believe, what I believe, will be determined how we behave. If we don't have confidence that this Bible is the Word of God, and that I believe what He says, and I'm going to act on what He says, then you start listening to the wrong crowd, hanging out with the wrong crowd, and you start acting like the wrong crowd. You join in with 
the scoffers and accept their advice and imitate their action and adopt their attitude. You see, first, it's a digression. They entice you, then they engage you, then they embrace you. Bad company corrupts good morals. Once again, I'm not saying we don't have conversations with people who are ungodly. We need to reach out to them. But we need to be careful that we are not getting our main value system and and advice from them, you see. We need to be reaching out to them with the Word of God. So, So it starts out with a walk. Then you're standing. Next thing you know, man, you're sitting. That's the, that's the progress, uh, the digression, rather, of backsliding. So, so watch out for the company. Stay away from bad company. Secondly, some things you don't do if you want to be blessed and continue to rejoice and sing. The second thing is, is that you need to, and I love this, I love the fact that God never says stop doing something without telling us what to do in its place. He doesn't just leave us in a vacuum. Don't do this anymore. He said, in Ephesians chapter 4, he doesn't say, stop lying. That's it. Stop stealing. No, he says, listen, stop stealing. And, and rather than steal, quit stealing and, and replace that uh, energy. Uh, you know, push, point, point that energy in the place of working. And then not only working and laboring with your hands, but then giving to those that have need. You see, uh, what he's suggesting is a whole heart change. Uh, God doesn't say, stop hanging out here with these people, stop doing this without telling us what to do in its place. What's he say to do? If we're going to continue to sing, if we're going to continue to rejoice, it says here, it says, but his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What does he say to do? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Study God's word. Stop hanging out with bad company and and stop making the main hang with the ungodly. And then uh, give yourself to Bible study, to the study of God's word. Man, if you want to maintain that place of blessing and that joyfulness, and you want to be a blessing to others, you've got to have a source, and that source is the Word of God. You see, just like the guys that, you know, look uh, for success financially, they study the Wall Street Journal and Money Magazine or Forbes Magazine or some other publication to try and figure out how to work the market to make money. We need to give that same diligence, if not more, to the study of God's Word. Because the Bible clearly teaches that God blesses a person directly in proportion to their relationship to the Word of God. This man that is going to be blessed, that is going to be joyful, that is going to be happy, that is going to experience success spiritually, finds his, note, delight in the Word of God. That delight means literally pleasure. I believe that when you're close to God and right with God, nothing gives you more pleasure than reading the Word of God. One of the things I pray for every day for myself 
as well as for my family and for the church, is that we would have a hunger for the Word of God. The problem is, many times today, the reason we're not hungry is the same reason when I'm heading home from, from the office sometimes, and, and there is an In-N-Out burger on the way to my house from the church, which is not, not good. And I haven't, I've been too busy, I didn't get to eat lunch, and so my wife, I know it's, you know, it's like 5, 5.30, and, and she's not going to have dinner ready till about 6.30, you know, or 7, and, and so I'm on my way home, and I, I didn't have lunch, so I go, I'm just going to grab something real quick, and just drive through and get just a single burger, just a regular burger, and order fries and a Coke, and, and kind of hold me over, because I'm hungry, I'm starving. And so I fill that hunger with that burger and I get home and my wife's got this salad and these, you know, green beans and the, the, the chicken and, and she's prepared this lovely, tasty meal and she goes, hungry? Sort of. Sort of. And then I sit down and eat it once more. No, 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 I'm good. That's all you're going to eat? Yeah, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Did you stop by in and out on the way home? I, I did. You know what? We do that. We're trying to fill our lives with other things. You know, watching TV isn't going to get you into the Word or satisfy you. You know what? Going out and, and uh, playing, you know, any sports or anything and, and going to the game is not going to do what the Word of God can do. While none of those things are wrong necessarily, we need to be careful. We're trying, we fill up on really quick, oh, give me a little a devotion, you know, and, and so there's this little video devotion. You go, well, I got my Bible study in for the day. You didn't study the Bible. You listened to a devotion. That's a whole different thing. Dig into the Word. You're not eating. You're not feeding on the Word. You're filling up on snacks, little snacks. And while snacks can tide you over, they cannot sustain you. We want little sweet tidbits of non-convicting positive words from somebody. Like Joel Osteen or something. Dare I mention that? I'm not, I'm not judging his eternal destiny. I don't know if he's a believer. Or not. I mean, I, I believe he's a believer. But, but, I mean, when I listen to him, he's, he's a great speaker. But I'm going, where's the Bible? He doesn't say, get out your Bibles and turn to. He, he has that whole statement at the beginning uh, uh, that, hey, this is, I believe everything in it, da-da-da. But, but when's the last time you heard him read four or five verses in it and then take it apart? You see, again, I'm not saying he's not a Christian. I'm not saying don't listen to him necessarily. What I am saying is we don't need, you see, to teach and to hear things from the Bible, we need to teach and hear the Bible. And there's a big difference. To take a principle from the Bible, while that's all true, we need to take the text and the context, we need to do the background, we need to do the work of digging into the Word if we're going to be strong in the Lord. And David wrote that. David, the psalmist, he writes further along in his songbook here, I, I love the way he just lays it out, and David would know in Psalm 119, uh, read the whole thing, it's a great read, uh, got a, a lot of convicting and uh, corrective 
passages there uh, to help you maintain perspective. But Psalm 119, verse 9, he starts out New Living Translation again. He says, how can a young person stay pure? Boy, that's a good question in this day and age. With all the images flying at you a hundred miles an hour on every sort of device every time you turn around. How can a young person stay pure today? And then he answers the question. He says, by obeying God's word. And then he goes on to say, show what that looks like. He says, I have tried hard to find you, Lord. In other words, this wasn't just a, a flippant kind of reading of the Bible and seeking God's wisdom and God's will. I've tried hard. It's taken some effort, some energy. We think, well, if it's going to be from God, everything's going to come easy. That is not true. You've got to dig into the Word. You've got to be a disciple. That speaks of discipline. A disciple speaks of doing something. Discipline speaks of doing something you don't really like doing. You see, he says, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wonder from your commands is prayer. I don't want to wonder from your commands, Lord. And then he goes on, uh, a verse that we all know, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord, he goes on to say, teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. Uh, man, have you given yourself to the Word of God and to the study of the Word of God and to investing not only uh, time, uh, but your activity in the Word and the work of God to the degree that you have to save up for your retirement, to pay your house off, to gain riches. Uh, he's saying, I, 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 gave, I gave it all, man. I mean, I delight in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. He goes on in Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Uh, uh, verse 104. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. You know what the study of God's Word does? It, 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 it causes you to hate lying and spinning and stealing and dishonesty. It, you start hating the false ways. And without the Word of God, those things don't happen. I like, I like the message translation in verse 103. Your words are so choice, so tasty, I prefer them to the best home cooking. I like that. You see, the Word of God to dig in it was his delight. Is it your delight when it comes to the Word of God? I want to make a statement here, and just quickly. I think sometimes at church we delight too much in the preacher of God's Word rather than in God's Word the preacher preaches. Oh, I love that preacher. Oh, I love that preacher. I, I don't mind you loving, you know, loving preachers, but be careful that you don't love the preacher. You see over the preaching of God's Word. That's why we need to take every preacher and to test him, to see, to make sure what he's sharing is the Word of God and not something of his own making. A lot of people get deceived that way. It's not enough 
to read the Word of God, we are told to meditate in His Word day and night. That's what he says. And meditate in the Word of God day and night. You know what that means, precious saints? That means that you memorize it. It's hard to meditate in something you haven't memorized or don't have in front of you. I mean, let me give you a little illustration of that. In the younger days, as a young believer, I realized I had a problem many of you probably don't have, and so hopefully you'll, some of you may be able to relate to this. But I had a problem with complaining. You know, whenever I'd be standing in line at the bank, and, and man, there's a line that's fairly long, and then finally I get up like three people away from my turn, and they had all five windows open, and then all of a sudden, for who knows why, the line's just as long as it was before, but three people before I get up there, they close three, three, three of the things down. And you're going, why? They used to put those old wood things down, and boom, that was closed. And you're going, why would they close? And same thing in the grocery store, right? You go into the grocery store, and, and man, there's this line, and, and then the line's getting longer and longer, and, and then you come up the line, and you're going... Uh, first thing you see it say when you see the line, you go, why don't they open another check stand? There's like 20 people in line here. What's, where's the checkers at? And you start complaining. I had a problem with that. Complaining and whining. So you know what I did? I memorized a passage in the Word of God that dealt specifically with that. It's in Philippians. It says... Do all things without murmuring and disputing. That's the King James. Complaining and whining. You see, uh, why? Why is it important? What's wrong with complaining? I mean, I got a legitimate beef here. He says, do all things without complaining and murmuring that you may be, and listen to this, blameless and harmless the sons, daughters of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, having not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Uh, I memorized that. And when I was packing donuts, when I worked in the bakery and packing donuts, wasn't a lot of intelligence just sticking donuts in a box. It didn't take a lot of mind skills. Uh, you know what? I would meditate on that verse, those verses, because I, I knew them. And so I would say, okay, so, so do all things without memory and disputing. Why? That you may be blameless. God's, in other words, if you murmur and complain, uh, then you're, you're, you're not blameless and, and, and you're not harmless. To be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke. In other words, uh, listen, uh, complaining, uh, man, you bring harm uh, not only to you but to others. You bring harm to the testimony uh, and the witness of Jesus Christ, you see. And, and it's something that is engaged in and is a demonstration of a crooked and perverse nation and people. See, I, I just, I just, I don't have any notes. I, I, I just, I know that verse. You see, we are living in a nation of whiners and complainers, and the rest of the world looks on us. A lot of the other countries going, these, what are these guys whining and complaining about, man? They got everything. They, they've got all the conveniences, and they're still not happy. And you look at the Bible, and you see the children of Israel when they were wandering around in the wilderness there for forty days. Guess what? You know how God feels about complaining? Try 3,000 people lost their lives in a moment when the earth opened up and swallowed them. God does not like complaining. It's a sin. 
And it's a sin that's contagious. You see, in that line, when you start, and it's very quick, and nobody had to teach, anybody have to teach any of your kids how to complain? I don't like peas. I don't like this. I don't like that. How come we have to do this? I don't like to do my homework. Why does a teacher always give us homework? And, And I wonder where they learned that. Did they learn it or were they born with it? You see, we're born with that sin nature and complaining and whining is part of the issues. And so what I learned, you see, is that I'm supposed to not complain. What am I supposed to do? Well, he goes on there in Philippians. He says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That is, when Christ returns, I'm to hold forth the word. In other words, people are to see Jesus in me. That I may rejoice when He shows up because they have seen Him. Having not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know what that says? Everything that you do, I don't care what kind of ministry you're in, if you're whining and complaining while you're doing it, even in your mind, guess what? Everything that you're doing gets no check at the end, no reward at the end. You are running in vain. You are laboring in vain. You're trying to serve the Lord, trying to be a witness for the Lord, trying to win people to Jesus Christ. But if you're doing it complaining, if on the way to church you're driving here and you're a Sunday school teacher or an usher or something, and you're saying, ah, and the kids are in the car and the wife's in the car, and you're going, ah, man, I wish I'd get somebody. I'm going to quit this thing. And you know what? Whining and complaining, whatever you did, when whatever you do when you're here, you are wasting your time. No reward comes. You see, meditate on the Word of God. Here's what I, here's what I do in line nowadays. I, I'm, I'm not saying I've arrived. I, I'm certainly, I, I'm not, I, I, I still complain from time to time. But I've grown. And I've learned when I'm standing in line and that happens, and they go, somebody says, I can't believe they closed this line. What? And they're so upset. And, and I go, yeah, you know, I mean, you're standing there in the grocery store line. And yeah, they should have more checkers. Uh, what, I, what I've done, I've done this at Costco. I've done this at Vons. It's our local grocery store in Winco. And, and, and what I've learned is I'll, I'll say, listen, I, I agree. It'd be nicer to have another checker. But let me, let me ask you this. Uh, where else in the world can you go into an air-conditioned grocery store, and not only do you have one uh, brand of cereal to choose from and variety, but you've got you've got a myriad of varieties of just cereal. You have a produce sitting out there, and it's clean. There's not flies landing all over it, and and then we have it nicely packaged in a very sanitary store that has certain health regulations and. Uh, we have our selection of uh, gluten-free, uh, with gluten, without gluten. With, uh, where else in the world can you do that? Not very many places. So you know what? While the wait's a little bit and kind of tough, listen, man, we, we are so blessed. And you know what happens? I've, I've, actually, I've actually had people say, you know, you're right. We, we are blessed. And then we get to talking about other things. And I've had occasion to share the Lord. And, and if, if they don't really want to, you know, get into that mode, they pretty much shut up. And that complaining doesn't spread any further. And what, what happens is, you know what? The attitude of gratitude can actually 
spread. I've, I've had where I was talking to one person and said, where else can you get the kind of, do the kind of thing that we're so blessed in this country to be able to do this? And then another person in line heard that's going, yeah, you know what? We are blessed. And, and pretty soon, man, you got the whole line talking about how blessed we are. I mean, nothing wrong with that. So that's what the benefit is of meditating in the Word of God. It sticks and, and get it in there like a song you can't get out of your mind. Uh, some people say, I read the Bible and never get anything out of it. Uh, then there's something wrong with you. There's something there in it. You just got to stay at it, you see. And you got to pray it in. He says, so, so there's some things not to do. Uh, there's some things to do. And that is to dig in and to study the Word. And then finally and very quickly, it says, there's, there's a benefit uh, in this, and it says he shall be the person that uh, doesn't do these things and and does, uh, you know, studies the word and stays away from the bad company. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. The final thing is, as he stands. In the face of the struggle and the battle. So stay away from, from bad company. Study God's word. And stand for what is right. You see. But something about this picture here. Of a, of a tree by a river. Uh, you get the idea that, it's, that there's an abundance of water there. Uh, we have the water. The word of God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 uh, tells husbands. To, to wash their wives with the water of God's Word that they might present them a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You see, we have the water of God's Word. That water, because that tree is rooted deeply, flows into the trunk of that tree and provides, the, you see, what it needs by way of nutrients through the soil mingling with the water to make that tree, even in the most radical winds it stays put that's the picture here and and listen when the sun comes out and the heat is on the leaves don't fall it doesn't wither you see god blesses us in other words to be a blessing i wonder if you know somebody like this tree you know what whenever you go through a tough time there's one brother one sister in the church body in the family that you go you know what i'm going to go talk to them because i'm going through this tough time and whenever i talk to them man i just i love to be around them because they're just such a blessing they're so refreshing when i'm dry spiritually when when i feel the heat of the difficulty this person man they're when they're there they're just such a blessing to me and in the trial they're shade kind of help you deal with the heat in the in the time where uh, you need uh, something uh, substantial to to eat of you see it talks about fruit in its season at just that right season in your life uh, there's that person and and man when you hang around with them they give you the word of god and you there's some substance there you feel like i can do this man i can go on uh, man they, they blessed me and and been such an encouragement to me like barnabas 
You see, that's the, that's the blessing of, of paying attention to these things. You know, when the psalmist here says, stay away from the bad company and study the word because then you will be able to stand for what's right and you will encourage others, you see, in their stand as well. Fruit coming forth from your life. That's what God desires for us as His children. God wants you to be that person to somebody else, to reach out, to encourage and pray with and and pray for, to to be that a tree that uh, no matter what comes, you're standing firm because you're in the Word and you receive, you see, your strength from the Word of God to do the work of God to be a blessing to the people of God. God help us to be those kinds of men, to those kind, those kinds of women, to have that attitude of gratitude, to be in that place where we are singing, you see. But for that to happen, you've got to pay attention to these things. This psalm is written to help us stay in that place, in that position where we are joyful and a blessing to those around us. May God help us to be that as His Spirit continues to lead and guide us, do His work in and through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, as always, for the faithful ministry of Your Holy Spirit and His presence to teach us and to instruct and direct us as Your children, Lord. And I pray now for each one here, Lord. You know, Lord, what is going on in their lives. Lord, I pray that... uh, Lord, we would be those who bear one another's burdens, as Your Word says. That we would be those who encourage one another, who exhort one another and and challenge one another. The idea, Lord, is we do this together as Christians. We need each other. There's no solo Christian, Lord. And I pray that, Lord, as we have studied this passage here in Psalm 1, that we would be those men and women that are blessed because we are paying attention to these things and then being a blessing to those with whom we come in contact. Reaching out, Lord, and and putting others before ourselves. Lord, so often it's our tendency to make ourselves the the subject and the star, Lord. May we be those who uh, care more and are more interested in others than we are in ourselves, Lord. Putting others before ourselves. And so, Lord, just fill us now with your Spirit that we could be a people. Uh, You're a good God who wants to bless us. May we pay attention to these things that we might experience that blessing increasingly and that you might receive honor and glory. And, Lord, I pray if there's any here that have not yet given their lives to you, that they would come today. Lord, maybe they've come in and they're guilty, Lord. That guilty is for the purpose of getting them to bring reconciliation, to seek reconciliation. And that, that has been done at the cross where you died in their place to take that guilt away that they may have their sins forgiven if they'll simply put their faith and their trust in you. They can have their life changed and the hope of heaven. So Lord, if there's any here that have not yet made that commitment, maybe they've been religious, maybe they've gone to church, but they're not born again, Lord, I pray today that they might come and we'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.